0: This is Church of the Resurrection in Whedon, Illinois. ...on a single part of a larger photograph. You know this happens a lot if you read 20th century history. Let's take someone like Winston Churchill, and sometimes when they didn't have photos like we had, they were less common, when you want to see what did he look like as a young man, you look for like a school's photo, which would be a group photo, maybe 30 or 50 people in this photo. You look for something like one of the clubs at university you look at various family events, crowd scenes. But you're really trying to focus on one person. You don't want to look through 30 or 50 faces to find Winston Churchill. So what do you do to focus? And sometimes what people do is they will give you that that picture and they will circle it, right? They'll put a circle or try to lighten it up so you know where to look in the picture, an arrow saying, this is, he's the one. This is Winston Churchill as a young man. Another way that we do now in a more modern age, very often in books, is they will take that photograph and they will crop it. They'll take just the part that interests us, right? So you can blow it up so it doesn't have to take all that space on the page and you can see the best image we can of just that one person. Now, that second, which is more common today with these kind of photos, we might say, well, what are the pros and cons? Well, the pros, you have a much clearer, bigger image. But the con is that we might be missing the whole context. You know, understanding that person, we say, when was this taken, knowing this is what that was a photo of? There's a context for this photo that's vital. So on Good Friday, we focus, rightfully so, on Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, dying for us on the cross. And we have a close-up of of Jesus doing that. But Christ did not act alone in our redemption on Good Friday. Others are at work as well. And if we focus uniquely on Jesus on that day, we're missing a context that could change our entire understanding of what happened, what was the love we saw on that first Good Friday. so who else was at work on good friday but we know the glorious truth is christ is the eternally begotten son of god in the beginning was the word the word was with god the word was god there was never a time without the son jesus of nazareth is born in time he's a human being fully human and A man fully human and the eternally begotten Son of God become one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. But because Jesus is God, he's part of the Holy Trinity. He's not to be the Son, he has a Father. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. And what we know is that because God is one, anything God does, all three members of the Trinity do, each in their own unique way. For example, the creation we talk about in our creed, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Creator, God the Father is the creator. But what was the Son? We know the Son and the Holy Spirit are present in creation. The Spirit of God hovered on the waters. And God said, that word of God, God said, let there be light. What were they doing at creation? Well, we're told that everything was created through Christ. You know, the eternally begotten is nothing. It says of all that was created, visible or invisible, was, was, everything was created through that word. So the Father is the creator, but everything he creates is through Jesus. The Father and the Son are equally involved in creation. You might think of the Father taking a lead. He's the most visible side, but the, whole, the, the Son is completely involved and ever, nothing is created without Him. What about the Holy Spirit? And in Genesis, we're told, remember, spirit in Hebrew and Greek means breath and wind as well as spirit. And so with the Holy Spirit, we're told in Genesis that when man was molded out of the clay, he still, something was missing, and it says God breathed into him, and he became a living being. He inspired him. he breathed the breath of God, his spirit. So God creates everything. The Father creates through his Son, and it's all animated by his Holy Spirit. So creation is the work of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We don't really see creation until we know that All, the fullness of God is present in every act of God. When we say Jesus Christ, we say God is the Creator, the Father is the Creator, the Son is the Redeemer. Absolutely, Jesus is our Redeemer. And He died alone on the cross. The Father did not die on the cross. The Holy Spirit didn't die on the cross. Jesus of Nazareth died on the cross. So our question is, what is the role of the Father and the Holy Spirit on that first Good Friday? Because Jesus is God and everything God does, all three members of the Trinity do, each in their own unique way. So sometimes, let's be honest about it, Good Friday forms a special challenge for a lot of Christians. We sometimes make it a drama where we have the Father is sort of a strict Puritan disciplinarian. He represents strict unbending justice. And we have Christ, who is absolutely inexhaustible mercy. Justice and mercy meet for a battle, and Jesus wins. Something is terribly wrong with that story. Sometimes a version of that story can become pretty much in the extreme good cop, bad cop. You know that, you know, the father we have issues with. I mean, we we understand, we respect him, but hard to love. But we have the son who is there. Thank goodness for the son. He's the one who rescues us from what we deserve, the Father who's ready to get us. Nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing. So how do we find the truth of what happened? Well, I say we go to the truth teller. The reason of the four gospels, John is called the theologian, unique title. He's the one who basically tells us about God. He tells us what it all means. And John will tell us what actually happened on Good Friday. So what does John have to say? John says, despite all appearances to the world, it looked as though Jesus, that everybody was right about Jesus, all his enemies. If you're the son of God, come down from that cross. We'll believe you. It looked like he had lost. He was was beaten and naked on the cross and died there. It looked like this was a moment of shame, of disgrace. And what does Jesus say before that moment? He says, now is the time for the son to be glorified. He was speaking of the cross. How in the world is dying naked and beaten on a cross glory? Well, let's think what we mean by glory. If we think in sports or something, we talk about somebody being at the top of their game. Why does someone talk about a certain athlete a certain way? And you say, you'd have to see this game, for example, and you'd see it's just magical. You can't believe what this, uh, what this person did. You can't, or like an artist, you can't, this is the, the top of it. If you want to see them, if you see one thing, look at this. So if we're talking about God is love, what's the finest example of love in the history of the universe? Jesus' death for us on the cross. So we're saying, this is his moment of glory. If we want to see what it means, complete self-giving love that holds nothing back, that's the picture. He said, this is God's glory. Now we see what glory looks like. This is the glory of God. Well, we understand that's not hard for us to understand that with Jesus. Okay, but John goes on. He says, now is the Son of Man glorified, and the rest of the verse says, and God, he means the Father, and God is glorified in him. How in the world is the Father glorified by the Son's giving of himself on the cross? That violates our normal earthly senses. How, we understand how the Son dying for us, suffering for us, we see that. But how does the Father letting him die seem like this is his moment of glory too? Meaning a complete self-giving love. Well, that's why the church gives us this day, we traditionally read the story of Abraham and what's called the binding of Isaac. In Jewish tradition it's not called the sacrifice of Isaac, because Isaac was never sacrificed. He was bound for sacrifice, but God stopped it. Isaac was never sacrificed. So the church has always said this is a type, it means like a foreshadowing, everything in the story foreshadows what's going to happen with Jesus with one exception the vital exception so first of all we have in the story it says take your Isaac your only son Jesus you know the, the son the eternally begotten son of God is the only begotten son of God the Lord Jesus Christ God's only son Isaac is Abraham's only son. Now, you might be saying, well, excuse me, I I study Bible here at Rez. I know something about the Bible. What about Ishmael? Well, in the ancient world, what counted wasn't just your father. It's the mother, it's the two together that made you son in the sense of the heir, the child, the hope of the family. So he says, only son. Take Isaac, your only son, all of your hopes, everything of the future. Take your only son. Then he goes on and he says, the one you love. He's certainly not understating what's being asked. The one you love. Your only son, the one you love. And sacrifice. Now Jesus at his baptism, when the father testifies, what does he say about, about Jesus? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased on the Mount of the Transfiguration where he's saying, what am I going to say about my relationship to the son? He says, this is the son I love. This is my beloved son. So the only son, the son you love. The next thing we have is that Isaac cooperates with Abraham. Now, this is often probably a surprise to most of you. We often look at the story. We have Abraham and we see a little kid trailing behind him. Okay, you're at his side. Well, come on, really, Isaac is 37 years old. Okay, according to the rabbinical tradition, he's at least 25. But, I mean, he's a grown man in the prime of his manhood. Now, Abraham, incredibly, is even older than I am. He was 125 years old. Now, I have three sons in their 30s, and one is, is pushing 40, and I've got to tell you, If I tried to bind one of them, they would take me out. (laughs) There is no way they're going to say, well, oh, dad, I haven't a chance. (laughs) So one of the reasons the rabbis celebrate, we say, why is Isaac great among the rabbis? The rabbis say, we understand why Abraham is great, right? we understand Jacob, but what did Isaac ever do? Duh! Isaac, at the command of God, works together with his own father to be the sacrifice. And not just that, like Jesus, he carries the wood of the sacrifice. He actually carries the wood that will be used for the sacrifice and allows himself to be bound, like Jesus himself carries his own cross. But there's one vital difference between these two. Yes, only son. Yes, a beloved son. Yes, cooperating, a mutual, when Abraham and Isaac, a Jewish view, in the biblical view, when they're going together, they're going together together to honor and obey the living God. So what's different? What happens at the moment the knife is about to come down? An angel says, stop. You see, literally, this is something God himself would not expect anyone to go through with. He would not, that's too much even rather to ask. God himself says, no. God never commands a human sacrifice. That is too much. Any human sacrifice, let alone your own son. Too much. There will be no angel at Calvary. No angel will will save God's only son. The father gives, the father does what Abraham was not called on to do. Now, what does this mean to us? Well, think about this. I think most of us, certainly if we have children, understand, you know, it's, you can sort of imagine sometimes there might be a situation where you might actually put your life at serious risk, maybe even die. Let's just say a child. You see a child there and you say, I have to do this. Even if you're not brave, you say, I could, I could see myself maybe. I hope I would be there, but I can't even say, but well, you can say, I could say maybe I could do that. But I've got to tell you, I think of my children, there is no possible way I would put one of them in harm's way. As a parent, I would much rather go myself, but the kids are beyond any, any question. So if we think that's how, how the Father loves the Son, there is no greater love than to be willing to, to give the Son for our salvation. That is the great love. And this is why John, when he summarized the Gospel, doesn't say, Jesus loved you so much he died for us. He says, God, the Father, so loved the world he would give his only Son. To him, the most amazing thing is the Father giving his Son. That is amazing love, the Father giving the Son for us. And Paul says, this should remove any doubts we have about God. He says, he who didn't spare his own Son but gave him up for us all, how we he, with him, graciously give us all other things. So that's why John says, or Jesus, our Lord says in John's Gospel, the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. On the cross, we see the glory of the Father and the Son. Our redemption is the work of the Father and the Son. The Father, the Jesus, gives us his very life. The father gives the most precious thing to him, his own son. It's a mutual giving, a profound mutual giving. The father and the son are not at cross purposes. They are not in opposition. It's a common shared love for us. Now, I want you to look at the image we reproduced in the bulletin. Do You see it on the sermon page. We have the Father standing by on the hot cross with his arms open wide. I love this. This is a beautiful way to see what happened on Good Friday. The Father gives us the only thing that can save us, his own Son, at infinite cost to himself. And the Son gives himself. So I like when I look at those bars of the cross, I see a combination of the Son's hand extending and self giving and the Father giving, both offering themselves, the Father offering the Son and the offering son offering himself, both of them offering for us, the cost of our salvation. But we talked about, uh, it reminds me, when I look at that picture, is the prodigal son. We say, that must be neat when the father welcomed the prodigal son home. That's the story of the cross. When we look at the cross, we see the father's arms wide open in Jesus Christ his son, saying, come home, the door is open. No sin is too great, the light's on. Now, what about the Holy Spirit? If you look at that same image, you will see that we have, the, um, we have the Holy Spirit there as well. So, in Hebrew and Greek, we said, again, the word spirit or breath are the same word in both Hebrew and Greek, they, they share the same word. And so, the, the evangelists make a real point out of uh, how they describe Jesus' death. They don't say, he died. What do they say? And look very carefully at what it says. It says, for example, in Matthew, it says, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and he yielded up his spirit. He gives his life. Jesus says, I lay down my life. No one takes it from me. He lays down, I yield my spirit. I have chosen, I, this is a free gift. I give this spirit. In Luke, it says that Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I hand over my spirit. And in John, we have Jesus received the sour wine. He said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, this is critical for us because Jesus said, you know, we have to have new life. You know, we, how can we have the new life? We're like batteries in the sense that we have an electric charge. We have life, but it's a life that always will end. It's like, you know, no matter how good the battery is, it will run out. Only God has life eternal. How can we share in that eternal life, the very life of God? And it requires Jesus' death. It's the Father offering the Son, allows His to give the spirit of life, which makes, makes our life possible. You know, it's interesting, with John's Gospel, has sort of a parabola uh, effect to how it's done. He starts, Christ, you know, the Son is in heaven, and the Son comes down to be with us. He's incarnate with us. But he goes up differently than he came. But as he came down alone, he will go up together with us. Because he said, in my Father's house are many rooms, otherwise I wouldn't have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also, that you may see my glory. How come we can go now? It's because with the Holy Spirit, it is now possible for us to be brought into the presence of God. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit that's only made possible by by what happens on Good Friday. By the way, that's in our Eucharist, something we do, one of our actions might be confusing to you because we have one of the four big actions is called the fraction where the priest breaks the host and he says, you know, breaks the bread and says, you know, uh, Christ sacrificed for you, etc. What's the big deal about breaking the host? Well, think about bread, especially in the Mediterranean. You know, if you sat looking at a loaf of bread, you could die of starvation. I mean, it could be a great loaf of bread, but you would die of starvation sitting at a table looking at bread. And you can't, in order to eat bread, Mediterranean bread, you have to break this hard crust. It's only by breaking the crust that you can get the life, that you can take out the life and take into yourself. And so we're basically saying, Christ's death made our life possible. That's what we're having in Holy, Commun- in Holy Eucharist, is we're basically saying, take Christ's death, wasn't an end, it was a beginning. It was to offer you life, the bread of life. Take that life. So we... We say that the, what happened on, the, on, on Calvary was the mutual gift of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The Father gives the Son, and through the Son we receive the Holy Spirit. His own life, eternal life. Our bulletin, we said, look at, looking at that image, the Father offers us His only beloved Son. The Son joins freely with joy in that offering because the Father and the Son love us There is no opposition in that love. And then, out of that, the Holy Spirit, which is the mutual love of Father and Son within the Trinity, that their gift makes that love come into our lives, to enter our lives and transform us. So there is no question of a father who's strict and unyielding justice, and a son who's the nice one, the one who cares about us. Well, we have, there is no ambiguity in God. There's not the slightest corner of shading in God's love for us. Instead, what we have is three persons in one inexhaustible and unfathomable love. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.